Welcome back to They Talk Sex podcast. This is the Sex Lives of African Women episode. Our guest author, Nana Darkoa Sechiyama, wrote the book. And I don't remember how I found it, but I've read two thirds of it. And I don't usually read short story or like nonfiction, like first person, the style. How would you call the segments of the book? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's so funny. It's always interesting to hear how different people describe it. Because I actually just think of it as, you know, a book, a nonfiction book. It's just that each chapter is a different woman's story. So to get a hold of Nana, uh, Instagram is at the Sex Lives of African Women and Twitter is at Sex Lives Africa. Go ahead and write to me, your host, Elstanger. I'm on Elstanger.com and my email for this podcast is they talk sex at protonmail.com. So I was so pleased to see not only that you had stories from at least one sex worker activist, um, but also a trans woman. Mm-hmm. And that was just not something I expected. So thank you. <laughs> no, I mean, I feel like how are you going to write a book about the sex lives of African women and not include the stories of sex workers, right? Um, right. Yeah, they're actually three stories by women who also happen to be sex workers. Okay. I read uh, Philester, I think, is the one that I read. Yes. Yes. I yeah. read love Philester's story. Yeah, and she has a son who speak who gives a speech like towards the end. She says about how he's proud of his mom, and she's HIV positive and an activist and a sex worker. And I just thought, like, wow, what a way to feel! Like you can feel the pride in her in her words, like retelling how far she's come from, like where she started. So let's talk about the book, uh, Nana. Why did you write the Sex Lives of African Women: Self Discovery, Freedom, and Healing? So I started blogging about sex in 2009. I have a blog called Adventures from the Bedrooms of African Women, which I started with my best friend, Malika Grant. And I started very much sort of sharing my own personal experiences of sex. And, you know, women would message me, tell me the experiences. And I would say, do you want to publish a story in the blog? And usually the reaction would be, the first reaction would be, no, I don't know how to write, you know? And I'm like, just write whatever you're feeling, thinking, experiencing. So people mm-hmm. started sharing their stories with me, would give me permission to publish it on the blog. The blog became really, really popular. And I just found that we had so many incredible stories in the blog, and I never really saw stories like that in the outside world when it came to how African women were portrayed, especially in terms of our sexuality, especially in terms of just anything to do with our sexuality, right? Whether it was, I felt like portrayal of us, especially in Western media was very negative. We would Mm -hmm. often be shown as victims, right? Either we're victims of practices like female genital mutilation, or we're shown as, you know, women who are in sad um, polygamous marriages and, I didn't see the agency. I didn't see the, like the vitality that I had in the stories that were published on my blog. And so I just thought I'm going to interview as many African women from across the globe and put Mm -hmm. all of those stories in the book. And for me, that was going to be what I felt would be a truer representation of, you know, our experiences than what I tended to see. Oh, yeah, I think you nailed it. Because that's definitely what it felt like for me. Like, wow, I didn't know. This sounds so silly. But I didn't know people like this could exist because I've never seen them to exist before. Mm-hmm. Um, the I want to come back to this towards the end of the episode. Um, when we talk about some, the term is oceanality that was taught to me. And it's a study of some African concepts. Um, and I will I will read and tell more about that because I'm obviously still learning. But um, female genital mutilation, one of the things that was introduced to me around African sexuality was like a reframe where, you know, we assume victimhood, but number Mm -hmm. one, Americans mutilate their kids' bodies too without their consent. We pierce our baby's ears all the time. Um, But, you know, what if it's actually like, yes, it's a painful ritual that is something that someone is very proud of because it's a coming of age thing. Um, And that could be like stretching the labia to have like bigger, longer labia to feel more sensation, which is something that you just don't do in America. People have surgery to cut off their labia Mm. and, you know, sensation be damned. Yeah. And if I can just sort of speak to that really quickly. Please, please. I mean, 
so labial lengthening, you know, is something that has been classified by the World Health Authority as not the World Health Authority, the World Health Organization mm-hmm. as um, an example of female genital mutilation. But what the work of people like Sylvia Tamale, who is really a foremost um, African feminist scholar when it comes to sexuality, what it shows is that that is actually a practice that's done for women's pleasure. Like you mm-hmm. mentioned, really to extend the labia, right? Um, mm-hmm. For my book, unfortunately, none of the women I interviewed had um, experienced that. But there was a woman who had experienced FGM. And how she described it, I found very helpful. It was a framing I hadn't thought of before. So she described it as an example of child sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was really helpful because I think usually the discourse around female genital mutilation sort of casts the people who practice this as these, you know, primitive people, right? But then Mm -hmm. when you look at it from the perspective of this is an act that was done on a child without their consent, you know, Mm -hmm. to their sexual organs, this is child sexual abuse. For me, that's a more helpful framing because you can see how, in fact, like all societies are complicit in abusing children and how mm. we really need to <laughs> end that, right? And and censor children's welfare and their well-being. So that was like a reframing that I got from, from my interview with a woman I called Waris in my book, which I found super helpful. Okay, yeah, that's really good to distinguish that there's so many ways that we alter our bodies as humans, you know, at all ages for many different reasons. Mm-hmm. I'm covered in tattoos and they all hurt. And it was because I thought it was beautiful, but if it had been done to me, it would have been absolute torture. Exactly. And I think about that, right? Um, so lengthening the labia for sexual pleasure is absolutely different than yes. what I think you're describing. And I, I believe there's, there's levels to like cutting off external genitalia. Mm-hmm and suturing it together. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been aware of usually there's, you know, obviously trigger warning, everyone, we're talking about pretty graphic stuff, but so there's usually like holes or like a, a method so that at least bodily fluids like urine can come out, but otherwise mm-hmm. like penetration is a series of tearing and stretching and birth. Yes. That, yeah, is that, does that sound correct? Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And you said that's Waris in the book? Yeah, that's Waris in the book. Okay, okay. So note to everyone. Um, yeah, so these stories, obviously, if, if all of that was new to our listeners and you'd never heard any of, these, any of these ideas or practices, your mind is probably blown right now. So, okay, that is a good reason for why you, you wrote and you collected these stories, Nana. Um, so was there, you're a feminist activist and you can use your author talents, you know, to proliferate your activism, obviously, like that's what I do with this podcast here. Um, So what are some concepts or did you have any goals? Yeah, my goal was really to show the full spectrum of African women's experiences when it comes to sex, sexuality and pleasure, right? It was to show how people are living in all sorts of ways and different relationship structures It was to show how people are taking control over their own lives, how people are able to assess themselves, to make different choices, you know, to change a structure of a relationship, even if they've been in one particular structure for 10 years. You know, Mm -hmm. one of my, I mean, people sometimes ask me what's like one of your favorite stories. One of my favorite stories is the story of Helen Banda, who's Mm. a woman who is originally from Malawi, but lives in the States. And she and her husband were in a pretty conventional, heteronormative, monogamous relationship for 10 years. And then they decide to open it up and she discovers she's pansexual. She's discovered, she discovers she's kinky. You know, they have children, including a child with special needs. And she and her husband take turns to care for the children whilst the other person is able to go on a date and, you know, just explore. And I find that, like, so beautiful that, Mm -hmm. you know, they were able to renegotiate the terms of their relationships. And I guess I also want people to know that that's all possible, right? It's possible to renegotiate your relationship. It's possible to leave a relationship that's no longer serving you. Um, That was one of the stories of a woman called Estelle who I interviewed. You know, she realized that actually I've been in this relationship for a really long time on the surface. 
it's good, but I know that there's more that I want to discover and I'm not going to be able to discover myself if I still stay within this relationship. Mm-hmm. And so for me, you know, these are some of the stories that I was particularly interested in. I interviewed also a lot of older women. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I won't say a lot. I interviewed two older women. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when it comes to sex and mainstream media, you know, we never really see older women as sexual beings. And actually, again, these two older women were some of my most like inspirational people that I interviewed and spoke to because I'm like, wow, you know, there's one woman, Alexis, who fell in love with another woman in her 60s. And we tend wow. to think, oh, once you're past a certain age, you're left on the shelf, right? And for me, those <laughs> stories tell me, no, you can fall in love at any age. You don't have to rush and get hooked by the age of 30 because you're scared of being left on the shelf, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I can't I can't think of her name, um, but she was the third wife, married in her 40s. Yes, Nura. Nura. Okay. Yeah. And some of the things, Oh God, I just love this. I, okay. Let me find the segment if you don't mind. No, um, I don't. Okay. Nura. Oh, she's the first. Duh. Yes. Okay. So actually I've given you a clue. I thought you're looking for yeah. like a particular section. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> I found, I found the section. So Nura. Okay. So she's the first story in the first chapter. Um, so her husband, he has two other wives. He says, Uh, She says, as a woman, I'm insatiable. I love to explore. And sometimes I even ask myself if I am too much. One time he said to me, oh, my goodness, I am so tired. I thought we were only going to have sex like once a month. I told him that's not going to happen. Apparently, he had assumed that because I am over 40, my libido would be much lower than it is. On the contrary, I feel like I am just starting my sexual journey. Um, okay, so the next portion. So for context, Nana, I'm a stripper. Um, I work with a lot of like young hipster, sexy women and people who are very like into their self-care. So this next part I want to read, it just like reminded me of so many of my work friends. Um, okay, she says... I'm the most self-aware that I've ever been. I am flexible. I am juicy. I am up for sex whenever, however, whatever. Before my husband comes over, I make sure I am well rested. I get a good night's sleep. I drink lots of water and I meditate. I make sure the house is clean. I burn lots of incense and I use my crystals that I'm prepared to deal with whatever energies he may be bringing into the house with him. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) It's like bitches at work with their crystals. Um, If I could just read two more sentences. Please, Uh, yes. She says, I work on my face and my body. I'm going to think about this a lot. (laughs) Like, I love that. Um, She says, I make sure I look good. I prepare for sex by performing these rituals that I was taught by Somali women. I burn some, oh, I don't know how to say this, O-U-D. Oud. Oud. And I stand over the incense while wearing a long flowy dress, and I use that to move the essence all over my body all over so my body retains the heat like talk about ritual you know mm-hmm. That's beautiful yes so inspirational um okay what were some of your off the cuff like what were some some things that surprised you like obviously all of this was valuable to include it like these are the stories you landed to include in this collection but mm-hmm. do you remember thinking like oh that's really surprising to me i can't wait to put this in a, in the book yeah, I think the thing that surprised me, unfortunately, it wasn't really like a positive thing, but the number of women who had experienced child sexual abuse mm-hmm. kind of threw me, right? Mm-hmm. You know how you know certain things happen and, you know, statistically they happen. But then it felt to me at some point in time that almost every woman I spoke to had experienced some sort of sexual abuse as a child. Mm-hmm. And yeah it's like it's horrific to think that this is like everybody like literally almost everybody's experience and that that kind of threw me that i wasn't expecting yeah the american psychological association experts like about a hundred years ago um basically they were so shocked by the the reports the self-reports from their patients mostly women who were experiencing you know what we still today call as hysteria so mm-hmm. many people who are suffering from so-called hysteria which has had a ton of like undealt with complex trauma from partners parents caregivers you know mm-hmm. siblings people around them so it makes sense why people are things like anxious or have unstable mood or mm-hmm. you, right and yep. and so many of us are are 
Yeah, it just uh, what a world. So thanks again for bringing awareness to stuff like this, because I think that helps people talk about, you know, what is normal versus what is healthy. True. Thank you. Yeah. How is the book being received so far? It seems like a lot of readers are really excited about it. Yeah, no, it's been received really well. It initially came out in the UK last year, in July last year. It came out in the US on the 1st of March. So it's sort of newer in the US. Um, okay. I've started also doing some tours, like in real life tours. I was in Kenya. I just got back from Kenya a week or so ago. It's been incredible. Um, <laughs> people keep telling me it's one of the most popular books in, in Kenya at this point in time. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's it's it's that's been wonderful. really good. And lots of people like send me messages, DMs. Um, I think some of the feedback, my favorite feedback, lots of queer people writing me and say, I've never felt so seen before. I was also yes very that was something that grabbed me I was shocked and impressed and really kind of warmed by how many queer or bisexual experiences these women report just Mm. in their youth and casually and in between you know the Mm -hmm. men and um okay so it is page 118 Fatu yes okay (laughs) another fave so Fatu, this stands out to me. I want to talk about abortion. Um, mm. So context warning again for people, we're going to talk about abortion and uh, dangerous abortion and sexual assault. Um, so something else that I notice in the book is when women talk about having to get an abortion or needing an abortion and the state of legality or criminalization of the abortion really impacted what they were able to get. Mm-hmm one of the women talked about being essentially raped by the man who performed it. She said, I don't yeah. even know if he was a doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, okay. So Fatu says, uh, before my ex and I got married, I got pregnant. He insisted that I get an abortion. He said, I cannot come to your family and tell them you're pregnant. Your mom won't be happy. She says, I felt very bad about the abortion. I saw it as a failure. I didn't understand. We loved each other. We wanted to be together. And so if by chance I was pregnant, why did we need to wait until we were married? Um, Okay, so I'm skipping ahead. She says, I said to him, let's go ahead and have a baby and people will know that we had a baby. He said, no, I felt very bad. And the conditions under which I had the abortion were terrible. Abortions are illegal in Senegal and everyone involved, including that person undergoing the abortion, the doctor or whoever is carrying out the procedure and anyone who even knows about the abortion is regarded as an accomplice. So for example, if a man knew his daughter was going to have an abortion and he took her to the doctor, the three of them could go to prison. That is still the case to this day. Uh, Okay. And then she speaks about being assaulted in the hut. Um, And then she says to this day that whenever a friend needed an abortion, she would go with them and say, Mm -hmm. just yell if there's something, if you need me, because that's what she wished she'd had for herself. Uh, I know. I have to right. And what's going on with America right now is mm-hmm. they might overturn Roe v. Wade, which would make abortions uh, illegal in I think twenty of the fifty states here. That's crazy. Yeah, that's like absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. So that that too was striking when I read that. Look up our guest Nana Darkoa Sechiyama at the sex lives of African women on Instagram. Twitter is at sex lives Africa. Thank you for rating and reviewing this episode on your listening app or sharing us whenever possible. Phew, summer is here and my vulva is sweaty and itchy and a little irritated. So I'm going to use the salve from Momotaro Apotheca and maybe take a nice cool bath with their oil as well. Try Momotaro Apotheca or Oshihana products. That's O-S-H-I-H-A-N-A or Momotaro Apotheca, M-O-M-O-T-A-R-O Apotheca.com and use my Instagram handle, stripperwriter, for a discount. Welcome back to They Talk Sex podcast. This is the Sex Lives of African Women episode. Uh, I'm your host, Elle Stanger. You can find my 
subscriber page on patreon.com forward slash strange bedfellows. That's the stuff I can't post on Instagram. And we are talking with author and feminist activist Nana Darkoa Sechiyama. She wrote the book, The Sex Lives of African Women, Self-Discovery, Freedom, and Healing. Thank you so much for being here. Can I ask where you are located right now in the world? Yes, I live in Ghana, which is actually where I am right now, in Accra, the capital. Oh, wow. Okay. So what time is it in the day over there? It's 8.24 p.m. right now. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, thank you for letting me keep you up late. Let's do some listener questions. Nana, I'm going to direct most of the questions at you. So you are the expert in this case. (laughs) I will offer uh, assistance when possible. So listener question one, Dr. Shamika Thorpe, I follow her on Instagram. I'm going to find, I think her handle is at Dr. Shamika, S-H-E-M-E-K-A. So question, Dr. Shamika Thorpe once published a discussion on her Instagram around the topic do you prefer to have a medical provider or sexual health provider, gynecologist, et cetera, that is the same race as you? So what are your thoughts on this, Dana? Oh, gosh. You know what? I feel like I, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm a bit stuck because I think it depends which country in the world I'm in, right? So the moment I live in Ghana, it's obviously a majority black country. And so, like, in Ghana, I would totally expect my gynae to be black, preferably a woman, right? Somebody with the same gender as I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in the UK, which is the other place where I've spent a lot of time, I went to invest in the UK, I think I would be open to anybody of either gender just because of, like, the location and where it is. Yeah. Hmm. Could you clarify on that? Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, the UK is a dominant white society. And so if my gynae was white, I'll be okay with it. Um, it and, like, it depends really on them being professional, right? Once I felt mm-hmm. they were professional, I'll be completely fine with mm-hmm. whatever gender they were. But my preference would probably be for a woman gynae. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I found where that was asked on her Instagram. It is uh, at Dr. Shamika. So she specifically researches um, black women. And usually it tends to be hetero women, but not all the time. So she asked, it says research has shown that black people typically prefer to have black medical providers. Um, black women, what are your thoughts? Does this matter to you? Why or why not? Um, someone says, yes, both of my PCP and my gynecologist are black women. That was intentional. Uh, someone else says, yes, I need to know that you're as personally invested as I am without me having to explain why my life matters first. Mm. Mm. So we're talking about, I mean, Again, a lot of these people are probably American. So we're talking about American racism. Mm -hmm. Um, Another woman says, it depends. My OB is currently a white man. However, the best OB treatment I have ever received was at the head of this department. His exact words were, we have to make sure that you, that when you want to have a baby, that you can. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, that helped show me that you take me seriously. So, yeah, geographic location seems to make a difference. Um, I think it does, yeah. Yeah, I think it does. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so listener question two. I asked my followers on Instagram, at Stripperator, to direct any questions to you. What surprised you in all of your interviews with African-descended people from all over the globe? I think it was... Maybe not so much of a surprise, but it was really the strong connection they still felt to the continent, even if they were second generation Africans. And I've actually still found that to be true, even after the book has been out and I've been doing like readings. So for example, last year I took part in an, um, at a festival called Africa Rights in the UK. And mm. yeah, lots of second generation Africans were just saying to me, thank you so much for including our stories in the book because they still feel this very strong 
connection to the continent and also really just wanted to be represented. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's been a pleasant surprise. Hmm, that's lovely. Listener question three. Okay, so another American. <laughs> that's where most of my audience is. Uh, <laughs> as a Black American woman, I'm working to unlearn the harmful concepts that assimilation and colonization made mandatory, like submission to men, being faithfully monogamous to a man no matter how I'm treated, and always putting everyone around me first. Do you have any advice for dealing with guilt that comes with these efforts to unlearn these things? I love that question. I think my advice would first of all be to extend yourself a lot of grace. Um, We are raised in a society and it's only natural for us to absorb the norms of that society, right? And especially as women, a lot of these norms are almost literally beaten into us. And I think the first step is to become aware, you know, that these are things you want to learn, which you already are, you're already there. So I think congratulate yourself for even just recognizing that and Mm. just be kind to yourself, right? I think we have been socialized one way our whole lives and when we're trying to unlearn that, we need to just give ourselves grace and give ourselves space and give ourselves time recognize that we may even fall short of the new standards we want to set for ourselves, but just keep persevering to really pursue the kind of life that we really want to live and to be true to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can remember, I can't remember which um, person this is in the story, but someone says, when I'm unhappy, I, I make a change. Mm-hmm. I think mm. it was actually, I'm thinking, was this Nura? It may have mm, been, have been. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I think it's true, right? It's it's really about listening to yourself and really just getting in tune with yourself. And yeah, also mm-hmm. not, it's scary to take action, right? Especially when that action is counter what like society tells us to do. But I find mm-hmm. that, and this is something I also found through the book, the people who in a sense live outside the box you know, who live on the margins, tended to be the people who had the best sex lives and were just indeed more happy than the people sort of conforming to societal norms. <laughs> oh, oh my God. I feel like we could talk about that one for a while. So you said mm-hmm. the people that live outside the box in their mm-hmm. sex right lives tend to be happier than those that are conforming. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, we used to make stickers for my old podcast and now I can't remember what it said, but it basically said something like repressing your sexuality is dangerous Mm -hmm. because when people repress it, they can act out in all kinds of other ways, anger, Mm -hmm. you know, being irrational, judgmental of others, violence. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Okay. So that's good advice. And also as I'm rereading the question, you know, and I'm, I'm a white person, but so the submission to men, faithfully monogamous, no matter how I'm treated and putting everyone around me first, like these are, it seems like these are misogyny issues that definitely seem to become compounded when you are more marginalized because Mm -hmm. you have more to do to prove yourself to be acceptable. Um, So it's not like, it's not like just black women deal with these, but they might deal with them from like more angles Mm -hmm. or harsher. Um, like you said earlier, like, I believe you said all of us are like many societies are complicit in child abuse or child. Yeah. I feel, I don't think there's a society in the world that's not complicit in child sexual abuse or child mm-hmm. abuse in general. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not a culture thing, but exactly. it's like, it's a people thing. So it's a people thing. Yeah. And oh, I think it's, a, it's also like a power thing, right? Like we're constantly trying to have power over others and Mm. you know like children get like in a sense the worst of it right because when when you live in a society that's obsessed with power the more powerful in this case adults you know in Mm -hmm. a sense lord it over children Mm -hmm. yeah definitely i'm thinking about so an example of monogamous like strictly monogamous like heteromonogamous society is like the offspring are very like it's very apparent like the paternity is very important but if you have polygynous or like societies where everyone is in theory able to have sex with everyone then 
anyone could be the father of any of the kids. And so in turn, all of the men and women and people look after all of the children kind of with equal investment because there's no ownership or extra investment in like that one that came out of your body. And so I think that's kind of a beautiful, it's an interesting concept that like, imagine living in a world where you take care of all of the children in your community as much as you would take care of your own. Can you imagine how different things would be? And children need that, right? Like, it's funny. My friend came over to visit me today and I have a toddler. She's two. Mm. <laughs> and mm. she was saying, you know, that expression, it takes a village. Yes. You know? It's yes. like literally true. And it's literally what you need. Like, we were not designed to raise children on our own. You know, they are so much work. They need a lot of love. They need a lot of time. They need, like, eyes on them all of the time. This is really something that's meant to be done in the community. It's not meant to be done as, you know, on your own or even in a nuclear family. It is really meant to be done with the help of, of everybody around you. Yeah. Yes. That, that felt so apparent to me when I was a stay at home mom for just about um, a few months. I went back to stripping sex club uh, or sex work as soon as I could. But like, I was like really a lot of the time still just the one at home with the baby when husband went to the corporate job and it was maddening. I'm like, Oh my God, I need someone else to talk to. I need someone to like watch her so she doesn't flop over while I take a mm -hmm. shit. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I remember calling my my first ex-husband. So the daughter or the father of my daughter is my second ex-husband. I get along with both of my ex-husbands. They actually played in a band together. So it's a beautiful dream for oh, me. Oh wow. We're not like sexually partnered with each other, but like I have I have the friend support. And I just remember calling my first husband Isaiah and I was like, I need to sleep. Like I, I, I just want to cry. I feel mm -hmm. so unwell. I need a nap. And he came over and like watched my six month old for oh. two hours, you know, and like, huh. That's yeah, it takes a village. Good. Well, I hope you get lots of support over there Thank you. or at least enough to make it through. Yeah. Thank you. No, at least I do have enough to make it through. My mom comes over. Um, I have help as well. So it makes all of the difference. Good. Okay. So listener question four, absolutely earnestly, this person asks, why are people with penises so quick to have sex when they're so incredibly bad at it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she's 21. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. Honey. She says during my first time, um, and moment with that partner, I was focused on getting it over with and not mm -hmm. having violence or questions targeted at me. I felt like I was being forced throughout. And since I know I can make myself feel amazing, I wondered why they couldn't. Um, so she um, is a first generation Jamaican American queer woman uh, and 21. So for context. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, hmm. I feel like I have lots of reactions. I'm just trying to figure out where to go first. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's like, I laughed because it's like, it's relatable and it's also sad. Yeah. Like, I think what it comes down to as a sex educator, as a sex worker, as a 35 year old who like would never in a million ages seek out a young 20s man to have partnered sex with for fun. No offense, but there tends to be a ton of anxiety. Mm -hmm. anxiety and like script following where they're like, okay, now I need to probably like finger her or something like now I should mm -hmm. probably put my, and that can feel so that's so scary because they're following a script of what they think they should be doing to complete an act, which is like an ejaculation. And it makes sense why it's not pleasurable to the other person because they're not tuned into each other. Yeah, no, totally. That really, really resonates. Um, you know, at the same time, I feel like, I'm beginning to see a generation of men, of people with penises who are becoming much more aware of how important it is to decenter their penis and sexual interactions. Mm. I'm actually going to be launching a podcast myself soon. And we really we recently did an um an an episode on masculinities and, and dicks, you know. Mm. Um and it was incredible. Maybe we're just lucky with the kind of men that we got, but all of them were really saying, you know what? In a sexual encounter, my penis is really not that important. 
Um, and and that was nice to hear, right? Because it's not really what we know as the norm. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I am holding out for those few penis holders who know <laughs> that it's not the be all and the end all. And actually, you know, like one of the people said, you have your whole body. You have like, like you have so much, right? Why do you feel like this little thing is what has to like be the center of the show? It doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be the center of the show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If I could give any advice to this person, it's so prioritize your safety. Definitely. Like I know I personally hear from a lot of people who are in their young to mid twenties that haven't had good or any partnered sex yet that they feel like they're really behind like I should be doing this because I'm this age and like really like your book has shown like you have time Mm -hmm. (laughs) you have time to become like juicy and open and fulfilled and so prioritize your safety and if if there's someone that you feel sexually interested in but you're having this like rushed experience and you're afraid of being hurt like in a non-sexual setting you could say like you know that was maybe not ideal to me I would like to go slower or next time we touch could we keep our pants on you know I'm I'm a little nervous I could go more slowly please because mm-hmm. um, I feel like people that care about you are going to want to make sure that you're more comfortable absolutely and like you said lots of people are just like in a sense copying a script that they've seen in like a porn flick uh, you know they're not really tuning into you and the thing that I always say to people as well is if it's really hard to have a conversation, like text the person, right? Like I find it really helpful to text and make mm. agreements um, before an encounter. I think it just makes the whole experience much better, especially if you know that you might feel a bit self-conscious to say what you need, you know, mm-hmm. say it beforehand. And that can also be like extremely sexy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, texting can be so helpful. The BB story, mm-hmm. yeah, grew up in as a Christian in Nigeria. So she talks about um, some shame, some anxiety. Let's see. She said she was 22. She says, I wanted to feel normal and for it to feel okay. And it did. It had taken me years to get here finally. But at the age of 32, I had technically gone all the way. I had managed to do this in spite of all the voices in my head, in spite of the repression, in spite of a sense of shame. Um, anxiety is a hell of a drug for people that are trying to have sex. It really is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So have patience with yourself. I think your first, um, advice or your advice to the person, um, dealing with guilt could apply to this person here. Mm. Just like have grace. Yeah. Just be kind to yourself. Yeah. Right. That's a good lesson. Hey L, where did you train to be a sex educator? I went to instituteforsexuality.com. If you do not need to be ASECT certified, you can take their shorter program. It's new. It's called Sweet Sexual Wellness Education and Enlightenment Training. It's about half the price of their regular program and you can do it at your own pace because it's all on demand. You can take it online. You can take one learning path at a time to make it more manageable financially. Go to instituteforsexuality.com and click on On Demand Programs. You can check out their other classes too. Welcome back to the Talk Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Elle Stanger. This is the Sex Lives of African Women episode. Our guest is Nana Darkoa Sechiyama. She wrote the book, The Sex Lives of African Women, Self-Discovery, Freedom, and Healing. And that is a collection of short stories told by women from all over the world. Uh, is that a correct description? It is correct, yes. Hmm. Um, it's basically African women from all over the world, so includes obviously Afro-descendants, women, black women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to find out more, go to the Instagram at the Sex Lives of African Women. Twitter is at Sex Lives Africa. And you can find me, your host, L Stanger, at Stripper Writer on Instagram. I'm also on Twitter at L Stanger. So... Okay, the term osunality 
is a term that I first heard while I was in sex educator training some few years ago. I first learned about oceanality from a researcher and teacher, academic, Dr. Zaleka Hepworth-Clark. They have more information about this next topic I'm going to talk about on their website, which is zaleka.com. I'll put that in the notes. Oceanality, as a term, is defined as an African-centered, sex-positive, post-colonial paradigm that affirms diversity in sensuality, sexual pleasure, and eroticism. So, post-colonial paradigm, what I like here is that, like, everything obviously exists based on history and context. So, things like kind of what we were talking about earlier with, like, labia lengthening, Mm -hmm. a lot of Americans might judge that practice Um, but it's just important to like reframe that, like, you know, people do body modifications all the time for sexual purposes. One of the concepts of oceanality that I really like, that was a reframe from what I am used to in Western culture is in Western culture, think of a lot of slang or how we talk about fucking like penis and vagina fucking. So we talk about tearing up that pussy, beating it up, um, like all kinds of like really violent terms kind of like hitting that. Um, so in Oceanality, there's a concept of the devouring vagina or the hungry vagina. And so the vagina is actually sucking energy and nourishment from the penis that it's interacting with in the concept of oceanality. So it's not like a harmful, like negative westernized concept of like, I'm going to tear up this pussy, Yes. but it's rather my vagina is going to seek nourishment from your cock. <laughs> I love it. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> I love it. Yes. I love that. And it just shows like the importance of flipping the script, right? And how we think about things. Like, why do we think of, yeah, why don't we think of the vagina as like literally sucking up the Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. penis? It's just like, I mean, if you've ever had anal sex, like butts get hungry sometimes and they'll suck toys right up there. Uh, So yeah, Um Okay, so I'm just going to go through and... Um, read like a couple of short bits and we discuss them from the book. Is that fine? Okay. That sounds great. All right. So I'm reading from the sex lives of African women, self-discovery, freedom and healing. And I noticed you have them portioned off. There's like three sections. Yeah. There's yes. Part one, self-discovery, part two, freedom, part three, healing. Um, let's see. Okay, so I am at, I think this is Helen Banda. Yes, okay. So she's already open and experimenting at this point. She says, uh, we met because I wanted to meet his wife. We had met at a social club that I had gone to with my husband because we had a date. But men could only get into the venue if they were with a woman. Which totally makes sense because otherwise you have just a ton of men standing around. (laughs) She says, James is Nigerian and so I was wary. So far I haven't wanted other Africans to know about my lifestyle because I'm concerned that people, particularly women, will be hostile towards me. I don't care much about how that will affect me personally, but I am concerned about any potential impact on my children. Generally, I haven't met a lot of Africans in the lifestyle. Um, at the social clubs, there are usually a few African men, but my experience is that we don't usually have the same philosophy around sexual liberation and sex positivity. The men have come across more as opportunists who think that women on the scene are easy. I haven't felt that they have any respect for women who are embracing their sexuality. So I want to say that is not just something like Nigerian or African men do. Swinger men just do that, you know, like, I mean, obviously it's like we're here because we're people that like to fuck. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, there's something about men in the sex positive scene sometimes that they can just be just so off putting or so like authoritative sometimes. 
Um, yeah. So where do you recall where she was writing from? Was it Canada at this point? No, she lives in the Midwest, the Midwest of America. Oh, okay. Okay. So yeah, being, and she talks about how it might impact her children. Mm. Um, I mean, places that you live in America, even like if you are part of a kinky community or a polyamorous community or swinger community, definitely, you know, your neighbors or your friends, your coworkers or whoever could report you for like child abuse you know like danger exposure oh wow oh yeah people lose their children or custody of their children no depending on oh my gosh i had no idea yeah depending on where you live so Mm -mm. um pretty wild and you said helen was one of your favorites yeah like i just love her story i just love the fact that you know you can change even within the same relationship and have that be okay. I think we need to allow more space for people to grow and to, like who you are today is not who you're going to be tomorrow. And I feel like relationships also need to allow for that kind of fluidity and those kind of transitions and that kind of like dynamism. Mm, dynamism. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Oh, okay. Nafi. Did I say that right? Yep, you did. Yay. Okay. Nafi says, I first got introduced to the man I married in 2007. My cousin had said to me, quote, can you believe my mom is trying to marry me off to a man who is just your type? (laughs) Her mother was obsessed with getting her children married and had introduced her daughter to Hassan in the hope that there would be a connection. She showed me his picture. I thought he was cute. We kind of look similar. Um... Let's see, I'm skipping down. She says, I had always thought I would never marry another Fulani person because our culture tends to be very conservative. We're socialized from a really early age to think of ourselves as Fula before anything else. As a woman, your identity is first linked to your father and then your husband. We also have a lot of child marriages because you're not regarded as a woman until you're married. And so even children tend to desire marriage for the recognition that it brings them. Okay, that is also something Americans do, particularly evangelicals, particularly in the Midwest. Um, have you ever heard of purity balls? I have. It sounds horrible. Oh my goodness! Right, yeah. same same concept yeah. that the purity of the child belongs to the father and God until it belongs to the husband. Uh, yeah, it's a problem. Yeah, I, it's really been interesting uh, for me to try to without judgment examine some of the same themes that come up like um you know patriarchal like ownership mm-hmm. or domination um and so we see these themes again it's like a people problem mm-hmm. true mm-hmm. very much mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. so do you think you would ever do a second <laughs> sex lives <laughs> i my second book will still be about sex i am still interested in exploring more around sexuality, especially around sexual freedom. But it's not going to be the same type of book. It's not going to be, you know, one based on conversations with people. I mean, there'll always be conversations with people, but it will be presented very differently. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you said you have a podcast coming out. I do. I do. So this podcast is one I've been working on with Malaika, the person I'm doing my blog with, Adventures in the Bedrooms of African Women. So it's really still having conversations with people around sex, sexuality, and pleasure. The very sorts of conversations we've been having on the blog but bringing it to audio form. So we should be coming to you for some advice, Elle. Ooh, I'm so down to give advice. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I just opened up a page to Esther. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh, okay, so... I'm going to read a little of Esther. She says, I started looking up websites on sexuality and found Lust Cinema, a feminist site run by a woman who specializes in creating erotic videos for women. All you need to do is send in your fantasy and voila, an erotic video is created specifically for you. The people she works with are well-paid, not people who have been drugged or being forced to engage in sexual acts. I So this is like ethical porn Mm, she's describing. Yes. You hear the term ethical porn, right? Yes. And then uh, it's interesting, like, these people, they've not been drugged because that is like that <laughs> sexual slavery, you know. So that's good to hear. Um, I love the interest in porn and sex and, like, squirting and mm-hmm. lesbianism. And it's like, 
Uh, women are just as kinky and diverse as men. Obviously, we're all just people. Absolutely. So I ask every guest this. Do you have any sex tips for our audience? Mm, I do have a sex tip for the audience. So let's just imagine maybe you're having sex with somebody who is either a penis owner or using a strap on. I think it's great when you have like a clitoral um, stimulator and you're using that if you're a woman at the same time mm -hmm. as you're being penetrated. That for me is mm -hmm. always amazing. It's feel safe. Mm -hmm. It's like 100% guaranteed to give satisfaction. Mm, yep. Yeah, definitely agreed. That's a good one. I've really figured out that I... <laughs> I don't know. I just do a lot of sexual performing. So mm. when it comes to it, sometimes I just want to be like balled up like a little like this is going to sound gross, but fetus just mm. ball me up like a fetus and fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> like just put me on my, my side mm. and shh, put your hand over my face. Uh, okay. So the book is The Sex Lives of African Women self-discovery freedom and healing please rate and review the show wherever you listen that helps more people find us and thanks for finding us on instagram i should post and share memes at they talk sex podcast on instagram and get a hold of nana darkoa sachiyama at the sex lives of african women on instagram and Twitter is at Sex Lives Africa. Thank you so much for coming on. And I look forward to finishing the book. Thank you so much, Elle. It's been a great conversation. I've had lots of fun. Lots of us know to grab a towel when we're on our period for period sex. But what if you could just get the layer? Try getthelayer.com because it's not just a sex blanket. It's great for not ruining sheets, bedding, furniture, whether you're on your period, whether you're a squirter, whether you're just trying to be polite. It's black, it's discreet. You can get 10% off when you get thelayer.com and use the code L-E-L-L-E, -L -L -E, all caps, my name. Try it out. Let me know how you like it. It is my travel companion. Getthelayer.com.